Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may be hearing this message. This is Reverend Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's edition of Bible Bites, episode 336, and we're reading today in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. And so I'm, I've been kind of looking forward to this section and then, of course, to tomorrow's as well. Uh, some of the, the meaty chapters from Corinthians that will help us in our understanding. Chapters 12 through 14 deals with um, a couple of key points. One is spiritual gifts and their operation in the church. And the other is um, love and the importance of love. And he, in essence, gives us the biblical treatise on love, the biblical definition of love and its qualities, its characteristics. So we're going to talk about all of that in this particular session today. And I also want to point out the design, I believe, by the Lord in how even Paul was led by the Spirit of God to design these three chapters and the succession of each. And you'll understand that when we get to the end of today's um, session. First of all, he lays out in verse 1 through 3 of chapter 12 a foundational understanding of the spiritual gifts. He's laying a foundation. And the reason is because one of the problems that Corinth had was that they were abusing the spiritual gifts. And so he wants to lay the foundation so that there can be proper understanding of spiritual gifts, of their reason and their functions, as well as their operation, and of how they should function in regard to public church services and the structure that is needed there. So that's what he's going to deal with in chapter 12 and chapter 14 particularly, because those are the two that give us the most um, focus on spiritual gifts, although we did cover some in Romans chapter 12 as well. Those three chapters in the scriptures are primarily dealing with spiritual gifts and give us the understanding that we need. Now, he says in verse 3 here, he says of chapter 12, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit of God. So we understand that it's the Spirit working in us, and it's the Spirit of God who gives the revelation that he gives. Now he goes into speaking about these spiritual gifts, and he talks about how they are different, different gifts, but they are all for one whole. Each gift is to benefit the whole body. He says it's the same Spirit, but different gifts given by that same Holy Spirit. It's the same Lord, but we serve Him in different fashions and in different jobs and ways. And it's the same God who enables us and energizes us to the different jobs that we have and so that it will benefit the whole. Notice in verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. If you are a believer, then you have at least one spiritual gift. At least one. You may have many. You may have more than one. You may have a couple. 
but you have at least one the Holy Spirit of God gives to each and every believer at least one gift. And the purpose of you understanding your gift and operating in it within the confines of what Scripture teaches us and using the principles and the guidance from Scripture to understand and operate in that gift is to be for the benefit of all, period. It is not for show. It is not for competition, nor is it for boasting. You're not to think, well, I've got this gift and you don't. Or, you know, there's no competition in the kingdom of God. It's not for show. It's not for flashiness. It's not for fleshly use either. If you'll remember when we were going through the Gospels, we talked about this, how remember Herod, when he wanted to see Jesus, he was hoping that Jesus would do some kind of miracle and show him some kind of amazing thing, almost like a court jester to be played. He wanted to be amused by it. And Jesus would have none of that, absolutely none of it, because that's not what the purpose of any spiritual gift is. It is only for glorifying God and to benefit the entirety of the body. So he gives a listing here of nine primary gifts that are listed out here in verses 8 through 11. And he speaks about how there are a variety of activities, but the same God is working through them all. And he gives the list. He says, for to one is given. And then he goes through this list of about nine things. Some of those can be categorized into power gifts, some into uh, speaking gifts, some into, you know, the working gifts, activities, and so forth. So there's different types of gifts, but they're all given by the Spirit of God. Now, the next several verses, Paul goes into a, an excellent analogy, similitude, whatever you want to call it. Remember how Jesus would use a natural thing to show a spiritual truth. Paul picks up on that, does the exact same principle here. As we've seen already with runners and races and different other things Paul has mentioned. So here he takes the analogy of every human being's physical body. And he speaks about how um, the body is one whole body, but it has many different members. And each one has specific jobs to do or a specific job to do. Each and every one is needed so that the whole of the body can function and the work is not hindered. He talks about how uh, it's the same God, the same God that's the creator of the physical body sets the members of the body in place. And he's showing that Jesus, that God does the exact same thing with the spiritual body of Christ. And it's proof in verse 20 through 26 that everyone is needed. So here he's talking in different ways about the body, comparing that to the differing gifts, but the whole of the body needs them all. We are one body, one person. He calls us one new man. We'll see that in Ephesians chapter 2. Broken down between the, the middle wall of partition that held and hindered between Jew and Gentile. We're made one in Christ. And he says every one of us has a gift just like 
the body, the whole of the body. There's some that are that are the hand. The, the body has a hand. The body has two hands. The body has two feet. The body has a heart. The body has a, a stomach. The body has um, uh, lungs. The body has skin. The body has nerves and a nervous system that runs throughout. The body has all of these different things, but they all function together when one part does its part and they're all doing their part, then the whole of the body is healthy and the whole of the body operates and does what it must do. He goes in and he says, you know, one can't say to the other, you're not needed. You know, we can't say, well, the hand can't say to the foot, well, we don't need you. I mean, you know, how would we ever get anywhere if we didn't, if God didn't in his wisdom give us feet? You know, we can't say to the, I can't say to the ear, well, we don't need you. He says, you know, if God made us all with just an eye, we'd have hear, we'd have sight. But what about hearing? We couldn't hear. We couldn't talk. We couldn't go anywhere. So Paul is just using this to show us in a physical way, through a physical visual example that every person could understand how necessary it is that each person function in the gift that God has given them in the local church body and in the corporate body as a whole. God has chosen who are to be the eyes, so to speak, who who are the eyes of the body, who are the the internal organs of the body, who are the hands of the body, etc. God has done that, and we're using those terms to to identify for spiritual things. <clears throat> but God is the one who's decided who all is to receive what gifts and how they are to be operated so that the whole body is healthy and blessed. He talks about um, <clears throat> how... He says in verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And then he goes on and he lists a bunch of other things that God has appointed. He speaks about first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles, gifts of healings, helps. Did you know that helps is a gift from God? I know people that that's their calling. They love to serve and to help, and they are fulfilled in doing that. Administrations is a gift from God. There are people that can lead and organize and, and you know, make sure that everything is done that needs to be done and coordinated all. Administrators are needed. Varieties of tongues are needed. And then he goes on and he says, you know, all of them can't be the same. We can't be operating the same. The body needs all. So he says, he ends it up in verse 31 here, and he says, But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. And with that, he leads us straight into chapter 13, which many dub as being the love chapter. And what he says here, it's interesting because in the first three verses of chapter 13, he is connecting chapter 12 with chapter 13 and the importance of love. In other words, he's saying you can have all these great gifts and do all this stuff, but if you do not have love, none of that matters. It's nothing. It's a sounding brass, a tinkling cymbal. It's nothing but noise and annoyance 
an annoying noise. It's irritating. It's, it's not going to accomplish the good things that God wants to accomplish. So he's leading us into this. So now he goes into defining exactly what love is. Here he gives us a long definition. And I want to read these to you because I found particularly one, at least, that was um, possibly even, even a better translation could be given than the words that were used. And, of course, there's different versions that translate things differently. My version typically is the New King James Bible, but I do know that, um, that the King James is used by many, as, as are other versions. He defines love, and he tells us these are the qualities. Now, this word for love is agape love. It's the highest form of love that there is. It's God's love. He says, first of all, it's long-suffering, meaning it puts up with things for a long time. It puts up with people and irritations for a long time, just like God does. Even in God's name, when he proclaimed his name to Moses in Exodus 34, one of the things he said in his name when he was proclaiming his name is long-suffering. He puts up with us, beloved. Thank God he does. It's kind. It acts benevolently and compassionately. You know, and I found that interesting that that it's even coupled with long-suffering, how there's this kindness, there's this compassionate aspect so that he's not going to just, you know, be looking to to cast a lightning bolt down and burn somebody up. That there's a love and there's a compassion there that wants to bless, even when people don't seem to be worthy of it. So this is def- definitions of agape love, characteristics of it. Long-suffering, kind, not, it does not envy nor does it strut itself or parade itself. It's not high-minded. It's not puffed up. It's not full of itself. It's not rude. It does not seek its own in the sense of being self-centered to the hurt or neglect of others. It is not easily angered or riled. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. Notice this, even in the secret thoughts, love does not allow immoral thoughts. Love does not allow malice, thoughts of ill will toward others. Love does not allow envious thoughts or depression or self-loathing. Love doesn't allow prideful thoughts. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity or sin. But it does, however, rejoice in truth, truth and righteousness, justice. Notice this one, bears all things. I love this because my Bible calls it bears all things. But I love how you really need to understand it in the original language. The word, the Greek word used literally means to roof over. It's talking about a thatch or a roof covering. And it means to cover with silence. In other words, it's talking about keeping confidence about things, keeping certain things secret. Not that we are hiding things from people or hiding truth. That's not what it's talking about. But what it is talking about here is because of love, you cover the faults of other people. You don't go just airing dirty laundry out there 
not caring about wounding the people, not caring about the reputation of the people. Because we need to remember that every one of us have faults. None of us are perfect. And we all have, to some degree, some kind of dirty laundry. We've, we've gotten angry, sometimes lost our temper. We've yelled at our kids, or we've done this, or we've done that. Or, you know, we've, we've done some form of sin or sinful things or, or just faults and failures where we've missed the mark. And those things are to be covered when they are repented of by the blood of Jesus and covered and, and forgiven by the blood of Jesus. We need to not go airing those things to other people, especially of other people. So we don't go airing the dirty laundry of other people. We're to bear those things. We're to cover those things because we love them. Matter of fact, another place in the scripture says clearly, love covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't mean it's hiding them so that they're not, they're not found out if they need to be found out. But it is talking about not just airing dirty laundry, but caring for the person, recognizing that they're flawed and they're faulty, just like we all are, and we cover them in that because we love them. It says it believes all things. In other words, it gives things the benefit of the doubt. You, you don't go just rushing, rushing to judgment and to condemnation. Hopes all things. It expects or con, uh, confides. It trusts and believes good is going to come. It's a positive thing, not a negative thing. It endures all things. It stays under and remains having fortitude. This is talking about staying the course. You know, we've talked in the past, in some past episodes, about the importance of the root system. You know, in a hurricane or very strong force winds or tornadoes, sometimes, you know, sometimes a tornado or something can pull something up by the roots. But a lot of times, particularly like, for instance, in hurricanes, you know, palm trees, etc., they can bend, sometimes bend all the way down, and it looks like they're fixing to crack and break completely, and yet they can stand straight back up. They might be bent a little bit, but they're not going to break. They stay the course and continue to stand strong, and that's what this is talking about here when it says it endures all things, and love never, not even at one time, fails. It is never losing the power that it needs to accomplish. It's never going to be falling to the ground or being inefficient in accomplishing what it should be doing. That's the characteristics of God's agape love. Praise God. Paul concludes talking about how we are imperfect, but the perfect meaning Jesus is coming one day. He talks about how he used to be a child and he spoke as a child, but now he's a man. It's time to grow up in the things of God. And he speaks about that. And he goes on down and he says this in verse 13. And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Agape love is the greatest. And then lastly, in chapter 14, here he is primarily dealing with spiritual gifts varying spiritual gifts, why we need to use them, what they are, particularly giving more detail about tongues and interpretation of tongues and prophecy. 
he kind of focuses a lot of his attention here on that and then he wraps up with how should they operate in the church and why what are what is their purpose so let's talk just a little bit about this he says the gifts are great it's good to desire them but love tops them all he begins the chapter with that so here again he's tying 12, 13, and 14 together. There's one thread that, that's through these. He speaks about how tongues, the gift of tongues, meaning languages that, that you would speak from your spirit through the, through the grace and gifting of God, that are languages you don't know and you don't understand. It may sound like gibberish, you know, and some, there are differing people in Christianity that have differing opinions about that. So I'm not trying to get in and argue over that, nor am I trying to cause division. I am simply trying to follow the scriptures and deal with what they are discussing in these episodes. Whether, you know, we, we get into a deeper discussion would be another topic for another day. However, tongues is clearly spoken about in the scriptures. And tongues include mysteries that are spoken in the spirit. One of the, the things that I've come to understand about tongues that has been a benefit to me is that tongues is a, the spirit man speaking in a spiritual language. And we don't understand that language. It does speak mysteries. But tongues is certainly biblical, and Paul devotes almost an entire chapter here the biggest bulk of this chapter in explaining more about them. Now, he tells us that they all should be done, whatever your gift is. He, he clears it up in verse 5, and he talks about how it all should be done for the church to receive edification, and especially in the area of tongues, prophecy, and interpretation of tongues. That is all to be done to edify the church. Now, this church had zeal for the gifts, but Paul here also in verse 6 through 12 is dealing with their motive for this zeal. In other words, it is not, these gifts are not given to us, none of them, for any form of show or sensationalism. They are totally for the church's edification. So he wants them, in verse 12, to have the right motive. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. In other words, do it for the right reason. And the reason should be that the church, the body of Christ, be edified. He gives a lot more interpretation and understanding into tongues. He says to pray that you always, if you're exercising tongues in a public setting, in a corporate setting in the church, pray that you would be able also to be able to give the interpretation because the desire is that edification always comes. He speaks about how tongues in a sense can be understood also to be your spirit's prayer language. And there's a place for that in a private prayer as well as in a corporate setting when there is proper interpretation and edification. He speaks of praying in the Spirit and praying with understanding. Both can be done. 
And the Spirit, the Bible tells us in Romans 8, both the Spirit and Jesus, the Son, make intercession for us before the Father. So we pray in the Spirit in concurrence and in agreement with the Spirit of God praying on our behalf. Praise be to God. In verse 19, notice this. He says, Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding than I may, that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. It's getting back to what his motive is. The motive is edification. Because when tongues are delivered in a body, they're a spiritual language which we don't normally understand. So without interpretation into the language that we're speaking, we don't fully get the message that those that, that Spirit or the Holy Spirit of God may be delivering. So it's very important that there be edification of the body. Now, he speaks also about the order and the freedom within the body and the members of the church to operate in their gifts. But he also, but he also clarifies that edification and order are needed so that there is no confusion in the church body, in the corporate gatherings. Now, he, uh, he goes on and he lays out some more structure for the operation of these gifts in a public setting, he speaks about the importance of needing an interpretation, again, because it needs to be for edification purposes. He also gives out prophetic words. He talks about the prophetic words, and he says, you know, that when those are given, we are to judge them. We're not just to accept prophecy um, just at face value, but we're to judge it. How do we judge it? We judge it by the word of God. Does it concur with the word of the Lord and by the witness of the Holy Spirit within us. Is there a witness from the Holy Spirit that concurs with that word to know that it is from the Lord? It's important for us to remember that God is a God of order and edification. He is not a God of confusion. He's not the author of any confusion whatsoever. Now, he briefly deals with women in the church gatherings, and this was primarily a result of the fact that they also had a lot of interpretation and things like that. So that's what Paul is talking about here, that they were. this was needed because of the interpretations and the disorder, not because of gender. The proof of that is found in Acts chapter 2 and in the prophetic word, that Peter quotes and understands from Joel chapter 2 that God's spirit is poured out on sons and daughters in the last in the last days. So he's not saying here that women shouldn't be there and shouldn't be learning and all of that. He's simply dealing with a matter of order and structure in the church. It had nothing to do with gender. It had to do with their their uh, causing disorder and interruptions and so forth. He speaks in verse 39 and 40. He says there this, as he kind of sums up this whole section, Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Praise be to God. An excellent way for him to summarize this. Now, I'd also like to just end with one other point, and I'm going to go through this very quickly, so this is much more in-depth than I can give you here. But in the Old Testament, 
there was a high priest garment um, that was um, that was a part of the priestly robe that he had to uh, garment and attire that he had to wear. The high priest. There were several garments that were listed in the Old Testament, and some were applicable. Four of them were applicable to all priests. And one, uh, the other four were only for the one person, the high priest. One of those was a robe that had at the bottom of it, sewn into it, bells and pomegranates. The bells were golden bells that they would make and the pomegranates um, that they would make with thread or whatever. And the bells, I love this. This actually a Messianic Jewish rabbi who is also a spirit-filled Christian evangelist um, explained this in such a way that has just always blessed me because he spoke about how the bells, because this whole garment, it's olive blue. The whole garment represents the Holy Spirit and his operation and, and his anointing on us, his coming upon us. And the bells represent the spiritual gifts which are given by the Holy Spirit of God. They are gifts of the Spirit that God designs for us to have and to use for the benefit and the edification of the body. The pomegranates represented the fruit of the Spirit. And in the book of Galatians chapter 5, we read about the fruit of the Spirit, which the, the first and primary element is love. So here we have Paul through the design, I believe, a godly divine design has written chapter 12 about gifts, chapter 13, love in the middle, and then another chapter 14 of gifts. That is exactly the same pattern of the bells and the pomegranates on the priestly, the high priest robe of the Holy Spirit represented by the blue color. The bottom had bells and pomegranates alternating. So a bell and then a pomegranate and then a bell and then a pomegranate and so on. And what these represented were the spiritual gifts by the bells and the pomegranates, the fruit of the spirit. It's interesting because in this design, we see a, an element of truth here that is so precious. The fruit of the spirit must be between and in operation with concurrently in between the gifts. Otherwise, the gifts would clang together just like those bells would have done when the high priest would walk. And it would be a noisy, irritating annoyance. It would not be of something sweet and beautiful of the Spirit of the Lord. And with the bells, with the pomegranates in the middle, the love in the middle, it brings that sweet presence of God, that sweet operation of the Holy Spirit of God. Love is absolutely required and totally necessary. And when there is truly love in operation with the gifts, then the body can be edified and built up, which is the whole goal and purpose in the first place. I pray this has been a blessing to you, and Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Bible Bites. God bless you today in Jesus' name.